0: There's a disconnect in John's brain.
1: There's a lot of disconnects in my brain. <laughs> Welcome to Charlotte Mason says. I'm John Chindel here with my wife Crystal. Join us as we read and discuss the home education series. Okay, so this week we're talking about Chapter 6, Field Lore and Naturalist's Books. And we start off talking about reverence for life. So she says, it is advisable then to teach the children the elements of natural science, of biology, botany, zo. Oh, no, that's a question. That's a question. A question. <laughs> is it advisable then? <laughs> well, I switched those two words. It is. Uh, so is it advisable to teach them the elements of natural science, biology, botany, zoology? On the whole, she says, no, the dissection even of a flower is painful for a sensitive child. And during the first six or eight years of life, I would not teach them any botany, which should necessitate the pulling of flowers to bits, much less should they be permitted to injure or destroy any non-noxious form of animal life. I like that she puts non-noxious in there so we can still shoot uh, chipmunks off the bird feeder.
0: They're noxious. They're not noxious. They are. No. Yep. Yep. She's talking like poisonous snakes.
1: Yeah, chipmunks. No. Yeah, they eat the bird feed.
0: They're not poisonous snakes.
1: I mean, they're about as close to it as you can get. Okay. They might carry rabies.
0: What? I mean... Have you ever heard of a chipmunk carrying rabies? They're they're rodents. Have you ever... Heard of a
1: chipmunk. (laughs) Since when do chipmunks bite people, though? Have
0: you ever heard of a chipmunk?
1: No, but have you ever heard of a chipmunk not carrying rabies? Yes, all of them. (laughs) But it's never been brought up before. All all of them. Chipmunks are noxious. Obnoxious. She just misspelled the word. Obnoxious forms of life.
0: Reverence for life as a wonderful and awful gift, which a ruthless child may destroy but can never restore, is a lesson of first importance to the child. Let knowledge grow from more to more, but of more reverence in us dwell. And that, in part, is a quote from In Memoriam by Alfred Lord Tennyson. And the the poem In Memoriam contains some of Tennyson's most accomplished lyrical work and is unusually sustained exercise in lyric verse. It is widely considered to be one of the greatest poems in the 19th century.
1: Interesting. So
0: it's it's something that you can that that everyone has and it will be destroyed at some point, or 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 will be it destroys it almost too harsh.
1: The reverence for life.
0: Mm-hmm. It it will be tarnished at some point.
1: Well, it's tarnished at some point, almost out of practicality.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and it goes on years hence when the children are old enough to understand that science itself, in a sense science itself is in a sense sacred and demands some sacrifices so so yes it needs to happen yes we will be dissecting flowers but not before they're six or eight years old right not before they just need to consider the lilies of the field yeah. consider the fowls of the air where it, it they they need to hold them up to a, a high standard of this is awesome. This is amazing. This is creation, right? Not well. How does that work? And how does this work? And how do how can we take this apart and figure out how it works?
1: Yeah, no, that's true. So, that's true. Uh, so, but she dives she dives into it a little bit. She says uh, all the common information they've been gav- gathering until then. Uh, sorry, directly following this, uh, she says years hence. Then skipping over the part that you read, all the common information they've been gathering until then and the habits of observation they've acquired will form a capital groundwork for a scientific education.
0: You don't need to teach the elements of natural science, of botany, biology, and zoology.
1: Because? You need
0: to teach the observation. You need to teach how to learn. You need to teach, um, what was the other? Habits of observation and the common information. Right. And she goes into the rough classification at first hand, just next, where she's talking about very distinct differences and distinct classes What you can do. I mean, even just the, the basic one of evergreen and deciduous. What is an evergreen? What is a deciduous? And they are a class
1: of trees. That's something that our kids have learned.
0: Yep. They're starting
1: to. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty cool thing.
0: And that that will give them... What is it? It affords much pleasure and, what's better, valuable training in the noticing of differences and resemblances. Patterns for this sort of classification of leaves and flowers will be found in every little book of elementary botany. The power to classify, discriminate, distinguish between things that differ is among the highest faculties of the human intellect, and no opportunity to cultivate it should be let slip. It's what Adam did at the very beginning.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: He classified, discriminated, and distinguished between things that were different. Yeah. And gave them names.
1: And gave them names. Well, and that was a job that was given him by God before the fall.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: So if it was good, if it was a... So if it was a thing that was good for Adam to do then, it's probably still a good thing for us to do now.
0: We'd do it anyways. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons... Racism exists because there are distinguishing factors yeah, that you can true. see between people, and you classify humans even in various ways. And racism is the the bad outpouring of that the the negative side of it, right? But well, it happens, right? And stereotypes, and yeah. you you join things that have something similar together.
1: Yeah. Uh, she references. She references something. Where is it? She says, but a classification got out of books that the child does not make for himself and is not able to verify for himself, cultivates no power, but that of verbal memory and a phrase or two from Tamil or oh, other Tamil. Tamil. Tamil, 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 whatever. It's a language. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I was curious about that. Yeah. And a phrase or two of Tamil or other unknown tongue. Oh, I guess I could have just paid attention <laughs> to what she said. Wow. And a phrase or two of Tamil or other unknown tongue learnt off would serve that purpose just as well, i.e. learning it out of a book is just as bad as knowing a phrase in a foreign language.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you can ask where the bathroom is in Spanish, but that's all, you can't speak Spanish. All you can do is ask for a bathroom.
0: A good thing to know how to do.
1: That's true. But if you're trying to order food, it really gets in the way.
0: <laughs> they send you to the wrong place.
1: <laughs> they do. <laughs> oh, man. So then she talks about, so what, what, are the, what are the actual use of these naturalists' book then? If it's not to, to learn, she says, the real use of these books at this stage is to give the child delightful glimpses into the world of wonders he lives in. And to reveal the sort of things to be seen by curious eyes. And fill him with the desires to make those discoveries for himself. So reading through those books the the books that we talked about last last time like like the Audubon uh bird book or the the British plant book. Was it plants book or or a a bird book? I don't remember. What was that one? Audubon was the bird book. Audubon was the bird one. I don't remember who the other uh, guy
0: was. Natural History of Selborne. Right. Well, and Anne, on top of that, she gives more examples. These are more children's botany books and children's naturalist books. Uh, Kingsley's Water Babies, Madam Howe and Lady Why, Mrs. Brightwind's Books, Miss Buckley, Eyes and No Eyes, Life of Her Children, Long's The School of the Woods, The Little Brother of the Bear, and uh, Curtain's Wild Nature's Ways, Living Animals of the World. So she actually lists out books that are good to have at this age
1: and that's all in the footnote that's that's crazy i had missed that before
0: and i'm pretty sure most of those are available today still interesting if not getting a resurgence
1: well it seems that recently anything charlotte mason recommends is getting a slight resurgence at least
0: yeah so it would be interesting and i did not look up those books to see if they're out there yet i just didn't take the time to do that i probably should
1: No, but it'd be easy to search for them. I mean, you have the author's name and the title. So, And
0: so they're pleasant reading. Most of them are by scientific men, but they don't need scientific knowledge to enjoy them. And this is where she says, you know, mothers cannot devote yourself too much to this kind of reading. Not only that you can read the little tidbits to your children but also to be able to just answer their, their queries and direct their observations. And not only the mother, but any woman, and frankly, any person,
1: <laughs> yeah. who
0: is likely to ever spend an hour or two in the society of children, should make herself mistress of this sort of information. Mistress or master.
1: <laughs> you know, that was something that, that I we started talking about last week and then realized it was in... Or last, last time and realize it was in this one. But that is something that is hugely important is to, for, for, for us, those of us who deal with children, specifically mothers and teachers, but, but also, also men. It's important to know these things so that when you talk to your children about them, you know what the heck you're talking about.
0: Well, and they, well, the children will adore her for knowing what they want to know. Yeah. They have a question. She has an answer. It's not, oh, let's go look it up. It's, Oh, I know this. Right. So.
1: Well, and I feel like our children are growing in adoration for Google at this point. Because the question is, oh, man, what is this thing? I don't know. Let's Google it.
0: You're right. Let's Google it. Fine. (laughs) Children of the 21st century.
1: Right. It's a whole different ballgame
0: she might give its bent for life to some young mind destined to do great things for the world.
1: Yep. So it's important to know these things so that when they ask the questions, you can answer them. Which doesn't mean you need a comprehensive knowledge of all these things. It just means you have to have some knowledge of all these things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And as your children grow, you learn with them.
0: really makes you like want to rethink education and higher education what and why and and, and go back to you know you're training to train up children not just
1: live your life right It makes me wonder about elementary education education like the elementary ed classes because mm-hmm. I don't know at all what they teach you in elementary ed school like as a at going to college mm-hmm. for elementary ed, I know that there are college programs for that, but I don't know what they teach you. Yeah. So, but that's a that's a whole other can of worms. That I'm chapter just, seven. I'm just going to put the lid right back on that. <laughs> and push them all back in there.
0: Chapter seven. The child gets knowledge by means of his senses, and I believe here we're talking about mostly children under the age of six or eight.
1: I believe so. And it's definitely not sensei's.
0: Did I say sensei's? No.
1: But I definitely read that as sensei's the first time I read it.
0: (laughs) So learn from their teachers, their sensei's?
1: Yeah, right. They're teachers that are called that because they typically teach a martial arts or something.
0: Anyway. That's where they get all their knowledge is their martial arts teacher. (laughs) Yeah, that's all the
1: knowledge you need.
0: That's not a typo. It does say senses. There's a a disconnect in John's brain.
1: There's a lot of disconnects in my brain.
0: (laughs) So how do children learn? And how do nature teach them? How do they gain knowledge? And she says, in the early years, the child is all eyes. Uh, He observes, or more truly, he perceives, calling sight, touch, taste, smell, and hearing to his aid. That he may learn all that is discoverable by discoverable by him about every new thing that comes under his notice. So he is taking in the intellectual food, which the working faculty of his brain at this period requires. So even when you see children not really doing much, they're doing a whole
1: lot. Well, it was something that as I read through this, she has the, the phrase here, everybody knows how a baby fumbles over with soft little fingers. And so the other day I was trying to help Isaac with his jacket, put his jacket on. And he did not want help. He likes to do things himself. He's a two-year-old. And he wants to do it himself. Now. Well, he—I mean, he's been two for like six no, months. He, but, but he hasn't been a two-year-old for six months in that term.
0: It's—it's it's when he decides he wants to. Well, that's because true because he is perfectly fine with you and I doing things for him. Yeah, that's, much more than Lily is.
1: That's true. He can be a lazy little bugger sometimes, which I can't fault him for. I can too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, so we were we were putting his jacket on, and, and he wanted to do the zipper. And he wanted to do it and he wanted to do it and we weren't in a rush and not in a hurry he was just going to go outside and play or something and so you know I helped him get his arms through and then he was he was doing a zipper and he was he was messing with it and fiddling with it and and he asked me to do it and so I did it and zipped it up and then he unzipped it and and worked at it and fiddled at it and finally he got it once and zipped it up and was super excited and I gave him <laughs> a high five and it was great. You know what he did next? He unzipped, he unzipped it and started going again. <laughs> it's like, dude,
0: you're going. Outside. I thought you were going to go outside
1: and play, Just, but but that's that's what he was doing. He was trying to figure out how it worked because he he knew how his brain his his brain knew how, but he couldn't get his fingers to function correctly on it.
0: The child is at his lessons and is learning all about it with a at a rate utterly surprising to the psychologist. So then, I mean, they're learning flat, uh, flat picture, solid body, um, and gaining experience about things. You know, the child for the moon, the house, or the horse. Sorry, the horse or the housefly, fly, near, far, large, small are ideas that the baby doesn't have yet. And through those early years, they gain all of that.
1: Well, they gain it naturally. It, it's not something that you have to teach. Babies. They just learn it by observing the environment around them.
0: Nature teaches so gently, so gradually, so persistently that he is never overdone, but goes on gathering little stores of knowledge about whatever comes before him.
1: And then she she keeps going, and this is where I think things get interesting. She says, and this is the process the child should continue for the first few years of his life. Now is the storing time which should be spent in laying up images of things familiar. By and by, he will have to conceive of things he has never seen. How can he do it except by comparison with things he has seen and knows? Which reminds me. So there's a there's a YouTube channel I follow and enjoy a lot. A group of VFX artists, uh, visual effects artists, and one of the videos they did was, "Hey, let's let's take let's take an object that we can all." Uh, we can all touch and feel and understand the size of and compare it to something that's massive. So they, they compared the earth to a marble, you are know, like, all right. So if the earth is the size of a marble, we know what the size of that is. And then they went up through the, through the planets in our solar mm. system. And the crazy thing was, is they did it in a visual effects program and they set the first marble on a street in New York. And then they, their marble just got bigger and bigger, and it, and it, you know, they talked about the sun and it encompassed the whole of the city. Oh, wow. And then they talked about other suns, and all of a sudden you have the earth being on that ball that is the other sun. And so it was a crazy way of being able to visualize what the size difference is between the earth, the marble that I know what a marble is, I know how big it is. To then the next thing that's bigger than that. It was fascinating. Cor- yeah. Corridor crew. If you're curious to look them up, they do a lot of cool videos. Corridor crew. Probably won't be in the show notes, but whatever.
0: The The other thing is with uh, easy access to television and Kindles and iPods and iPads and <laughs> video... Of all sorts, the the children in the first few years of their lives are not necessarily getting that touch. That's true. Tactile, um,
1: which is information. Why, which is probably why a lot of people are saying to to keep the electronics away from the kids for the most part in those early years.
0: Well, the official recommendation coming out from the American Academy of Pediatrics is zero for the first two years. Like they've officially come out wow. and said that. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah.
1: I didn't realize that that was an official. Wow. So yeah, definitely. And, and this
0: is why, because I mean they they need to they need to feel and touch and use use tangible things.
1: Right. Well, and it's not only definitely for the first two years, but I mean she's talking all the way through. Six years of age here that 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 should be that should be the primary method of of doing things. Mm -hmm. And of course, this was back before those screens even came into existence.
0: Well, the uh, backup page, the 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 supercilious grownups give them a spoon or a doll to keep him quiet. Yeah, it's actually a thing instead of the device.
1: Yeah, so, that's, I don't that's know, true. just... Well, and that is that is a thing that, that parents do is they give their child their phone just to m- make the child be quiet.
0: I did that with Ian. I would... I would kind of to keep him awake also. When I was driving home, I would give him my phone in the car. Partially because I knew it was the screen was locked. Oh. <laughs> but I couldn't do that. I couldn't continue doing that because I have one phone and five children. And
1: five children. Yeah, that that got out of hand quick. So. So, let's see. That was children learning stuff. So, the next section then is overpressure.
0: A great deal has been said lately about the danger of overpressure of requiring too much mental work from a child of tender years. Wait. Is she talking to him? us today
1: (laughs) right it seems like she is
0: seems like life is always the same there's nothing new under the sun but the danger exists but lies not in giving the child too much but giving him the wrong thing to do the sort of work for which the present state of his mental development does not fit him who who expects a boy in petticoats to lift half a hundred weight I guess who expects a kid in diapers to read a book? <laughs> I don't know. So it's it's give the child the work that nature intended for him. And the quantity that he can get through with these is practically unlimited. Whoever saw a child tired of seeing and examining in his own way unfamiliar things? This is what the child needs. This is the food for the mind which he is meant to grow with.
1: Which I think is one of the reasons that schools for young children don't really work
0: mm-hmm.
1: because that's not how they're designed or intended to learn, and they get tired of it real quick.
0: It is not the present state of his mental development,
1: which of course she moves on to right here. She talks about objects lessons next object lessons
0: well, and where the present state of your mental development, it's very interesting. there's a kind of a meme going around about. You know, all the corn kernels in a popcorn pot have, you know, the same things happening to them, but they all pop at different times. That doesn't make them better or worse or bad or different. That's true. But and the the state of mental development is different for children and each child individually.
1: Well, that's something we've seen with Ian. He's been it's been hard to get him to sit down and do math recently because he didn't get it. Mm-hmm. nothing made sense
0: it was a, it was more of a struggle he kind of was getting it but it was it was a struggle
1: but you were saying earlier that he's he's starting to pick up on these things yeah and and he's starting to to understand the concept of numbers and putting numbers together
0: the biggest place that you can see this type of thing is reading
1: well i believe that
0: you know how how early is your child reading it's like well they'll read eventually. It it doesn't really matter that much. Right. Unless there's, there's a physical or mental block or a disability. Right. But, but that's again, you know, talking the norm, they'll read. They'll, they'll get it. They'll put it together. Right. And some people it's at five and some people it's at 10 and it's a range.
1: Mm -hmm. So I remember my mom talking about that with me and it, and it took the right type of book at the right time. And I and I took off reading.
0: The sort of work for which your present state of mental development fits you. Mm-hmm. So
1: it's needed Calvin and Hobbes. That's a good one. <laughs> I think I think that's honestly what, what I what started getting me interested is oh man, these pictures have words. Oh, and they're funny. <laughs> well, that means I need to read them. Well, here we go. You and your son.
0: That was what Ian was doing, too. Right. With Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. Okay. So, object lessons. Learning from things. So, how far is this craving for natural substance met? In schools, you do object lessons, which is okay, but sometimes it's like a bean a day, which the Frenchman fed his horse. I couldn't find the story.
1: (laughs) That's too bad. I'm curious.
0: Well, I did. When I was looking up, they did feed horses beans, which I didn't actually know they fed horses beans. So it makes sense, you know, a bean a day, one little thing to look at.
1: Right. That's not enough to feed a horse.
0: But also, if you have all the stuff at home with less method. So in the school, you have all the method of the object lessons, but only like one or two things.
1: Well, you have the the system. Yeah, right. or,
0: or system or method or in this case it's that's not the important part. Well, that's true. It's the fact that you have, you know, one or two things purposefully. And right. at home, she's saying you have all the new things but without a method, without the the purpose behind it. Right. She says uh, neither at neither place, home or school is much effort made to set before the child the abundant feast of his eyes which his needs demand so we need to provide more things more intentionally as gotcha. opposed to just letting it haphazardly happen
1: right interesting
0: so we the older people partly because of our mature our mature our mature we older people partly because <laughs> we are more mature and we have a more mature intellect partly and this is interesting Partly because of our defective education, she just lumped herself in with us in having she a defective did. education. She
1: had a defective education too. Oh, what does that mean for our education, though?
0: Oh, uh, that's <laughs> that's that can of worms that we already closed. Defective
1: by degrees, <laughs> closing that right back up again. Sorry, <laughs> they almost escaped again.
0: But uh, and and that's comforting. It where, is. Where she still feels a lack, even uh, even at this point. Where, even though she knows all the things. Yeah. And she's made it her life's work to study children and how they learn. Yeah. She still believes that she's a part of the people that had a defective education. Yeah. So.
1: That is really cool.
0: Which also means our kids are probably going to think they had a defective education.
1: Well, yeah, probably.
0: No matter how amazing we do. So it's well, all defective anyway. Right? So. I mean, I
1: definitely feel like I had a defective education, but I know my mother would say that my education was miles beyond better hers. So at least there's that.
0: So I, you know, <laughs> the wheel in the sky keeps on turning.
1: Is that journey? Yes. Oh, man. You're showing your age here.
0: Whatever. <laughs> um, anyways, we get most of our knowledge through the medium of words. So we give words to kids and expect them to learn, too. But they don't. They're dull and slow. And I think this is also when we just give them books too early too much.
1: I could believe that.
0: And just turn them loose on the books. Because it's not the thing. Reading about an apple is different than holding an apple. right? And tasting an apple and messing with an apple. And it's because... The children only have a few words in common use that have a definite meaning. And the rest of them are just, you know, sounds of things. Mm. Which, so in the Anna Green Gables series I'm reading, they use various words for insults without knowing what they are, the children do. It's like, you dispensationalist. Oh, jeez. It's like, you had no idea what it was. It was uh. just, I'm going to insult you and this is the best word i have right and now
1: here's the insult it's
0: really big it's really long
1: <laughs> be insulted so you dirty dispensationalist you yeah oh gosh that's but terrible. there's
0: no definite meaning with that word
1: no it's just a big word that that sounds a lot
0: but you said them with a thing and they'll know more and so their questions are about the words to describe it so they have words now
1: Right, because they'll they'll see the thing and they'll ask about it. So you give them an apple and they'll learn what red is and round and crunchy. Mm-hmm.
0: And where their mind knows these things, but without putting words to them.
1: Right. So you start making those. You're starting to make those connections between the the physical, tangible, and the uh, the thought.
0: They're in quest of, not of knowledge, but of words to express the knowledge they have.
1: Interesting.
0: And again, she says it's a waste of intellectual energy either to shut up the child, excuse me, within the four walls of the house, or where he can run around in the country and have random observations for want of method and direction. She's, she's decrying both of those things. Both of them being a waste of their intellectual energy.
1: Okay, I'm... I I need I need to work my I need to work through this because because she's talked about how good it is for children to be outside and to run and play and do stuff. And now she kind of says differently.
0: No, she's not saying differently. She's saying do it in random observations for want of method and direction and that goes back to taking your child outside as opposed to just sending them outside.
1: Oh.
0: Oh, do do do.
1: Yeah, she, she did talk about that.
0: Uh, we talked about it. Uh, The page 44, in section the f- 1.
1: 43. In the first place, do not send them. If it is any way possible, take them. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and take them. Uh, supposing we've got them, what is to be done with these golden hours so that everyone may be delightful? They must be se- spent with some method, or the mother will be taxed, and the children bored... Or, and I'm adding this later, children learning random observations for want of method and direction. Yeah. No, I got you that's, there. That's where I think she's going with that. That makes sense. They, they do have to be let alone, but at the same time, here's the mother's opportunity to train the seeing eye, the hearing ear, and to drop seeds of truth so that, that they're, they're both connected.
1: Right. No, that, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. So
0: I I think that's where that is. I think that um, makes sense. More more in connection with, uh, just fully disjointedness.
1: Right. They're not going to learn as much when when they're just running around randomly. You definitely want to give them a a, a bit more direction than that.
0: Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's where she's going with that whole thing.
1: So the next section she moves on to then is the sense of beauty that comes from early contact with nature. And I thought this was this was pretty interesting. Uh, going down about halfway, halfway through the section, she says, It's curious how certain feelings are linked with the mere observation of nature and natural objects the aesthetic sense of the beautiful says dr carpenter of the sublime of the harmonious seemed the most elementary form to connect itself immediately with the perceptions which arise out of the contact of our minds with external nature I, I i feel like i don't know it's it's interesting to me that that your concept of beauty that your concept of of what is beautiful and what is what is fair and what's lovely Comes from your early, your early observations about nature.
0: Well, then Dr. Carpenter quotes Dr. Morrell, who says, "All those who have shown remarkable appreciation of form and beauty date their first impressions from a period lying far behind the existence of definite ideas or verbal instructions." So it's it's from their pre-memory stages, right, where they learn what beauty is. Yeah. Backing up just a little bit, though, um, when you get the common knowledge this way, the common information this way, where it's hard to forget so that the intelligent child may furnish for himself before he begins his school career. The one who can tell you offhand where to find the graceful birches, the ash trees, has chances in life a dozen to one compared with the slower, lower intelligence that does not know the elm from the oak not merely chances of success but chances of a larger happier life
1: uh, she talked about this a little bit earlier in the uh, the living creatures section uh, in the uh, mental training for a for a child naturalist she says uh, consider too what an unequaled mental training the child naturalist is getting for any study or calling under the sun the powers of attention discrimination of patient pursuit growing with his growth what will they not what will they not fit him for mm-hmm it's it's the same thing it's the same thing she's talking about here the it, it's it's that same thought of the child who has spent the time to learn these things and has and has spent the time to make these connections well then then he's going to be all the better off than the child who hasn't spent the time to do that and hasn't trained his mind and his body. To do to do the work that it takes to learn,
0: and I mean, this is skipping ahead another couple of pages into the next section, but we talk about how power is passing into the hands of scientific men, and we can get there in a little bit. But it's the same idea, you know. These basic uh, habits and tendencies and observations and skills that you learn by doing. Will serve you in good stead for the rest of your life. Right. So
1: it's kind of the idea that you know, we talk about it in that in the industry I'm in that once you get and I and it's not even just mine but mine's the one I'm in but once you get out of college once you get out of education is when the real learning and the real training begins. Mm-hmm. I didn't learn how to do my job until long after I left college. That's when I learned how to actually do what I do now. All I learned in college were things that tangentially related.
0: So then she moves on to a couple of examples of people who have, uh, mostly writers, who have utilized this early training and knowledge. To Mr. Evans, we owe something for taking his little daughter, Marianne, with him. On long business drives, she sat up be- or she stood up between her father's knees, seeing much and saying little. And she became a writer. Um, her first novel uh, was published under a pen name George Eliot, published in 1859. and it's remained in print ever since. and it follows four characters' rural lives in the fictional community of Hayslope, a rural pastoral and close-knit community and that's these young impressions and drives were where she got this information about how to create the set how to create the place of the people interesting same same with the mill on the floss it was a novel about some some siblings growing up on the river floss and the mill that was situated there and so it was most of her That one and most of her other books were set in provincial England and known for their realism and psychological insight. And so because of the way her father took her with him to the country and she got to see it all firsthand, she could recreate these things later in life and be a very successful author.
1: Reminds me of Laura Ingalls Wilder as well.
0: Yeah. And then we've got Wordsworth as an example who was reared among the mountains, becomes a very prophet of nature. Tennyson, where he was grow up, grew up, little David Copperfield was an observant, very observant child, though.
1: And then later in life became a famous magician. No. In his next life. Maybe. That <laughs> um, <laughs> kills me. Because David Copperfield is a magician. But he apparently also was the author.
0: He is the eighth novel by Charles Dickens. And so the... Featuring David Copperfield, written in the first person, a description of his life. And it's been called Dickens' Masterpiece, The Triumph of the Art of Dickens. And it marks a turning point in his work, the point of separation between the novels of youth and those of maturity. Which means I probably should actually read that one. Probably, Dickens' favorite among his own novels is David Copperfield. Oh, nice. And so Copperfield is making the observation that many people, many men have not not um retained this faculty of observation they've they've lost it, huh? It's not that they'd never had it, it's that they didn't cultivate it and they lost it interesting, you didn't read it because it was a quote, didn't you
1: i honestly i did, i kind of breezed through that entire section I was yeah. like oh look a bunch of good books and authors
0: so. <laughs> So that's the end of chapter seven.
1: So then we move on to chapter eight here. The child should be made familiar with natural objects.
0: But what is the use of being a very observant child? If you are not put in the way of things worth observing. So.
1: Yeah. And this is where she kind of gets down on on things that happen in the city.
0: And it's a very interesting distinctive that she makes. It's Yeah, they learn information, but it's not connected to things. Right. The information is there, and it's good, but no one's wiser for knowing which side of the street Smith's is on and which turn leads to Thompson's shop. I think maybe connecting it with, you know, where the sun is, where directions go, maybe that stuff might be more beneficial. But but there's a difference. And she says, you know, you take up a natural object, it doesn't matter what. You're studying one of a group, a member of a series, and whatever knowledge you get about it as is as much towards the science of everything of its own kind. Right. So,
1: I guess what what I think about is you take you take a person who was born and raised in the city, and you take him into the country, and that person's going to be totally lost. You take someone who was born and raised in the country, bring him into the city, and that person's going to be totally lost.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true
1: That's what Pins, I thought
0: Town mouse, country mouse
1: Right? This is why This is why we should all be like the man in the yellow hat With George Curious George We should have a country house And a townhouse And be scientists And be farmers And uh, He's
0: not the scientist and the farmer Those are friends
1: I guess that's true I guess he's just a man with a monkey
0: yeah, I don't. I don't know what the man with the yellow hat does. I don't know. But he's Other got than he's lots a of... he's a poacher.
1: Well, he is. A, he is a poacher. <laughs> That's why he came. Yeah, he's a poacher, and he also has lots of money. Maybe, maybe he's a big game hunt leader. I don't know. There's a can of worms. I'm going to screw the tap back on. <laughs> on. I have I
0: have not read enough original Curious George to be able to answer your question. I kinda want to go down that
1: rabbit hole. I think it'd be fun to to theorize about what he is.
0: I will go check out Curious George books from the library, the old ones, and you can read them to the kids <laughs> and you can figure it no, out.
1: No, I would not be reading them to the children. I would be reading them for myself notating and cross-referencing and highlighting and going through all of that work.
0: If it's a library book, please don't highlight it. Nope,
1: I will highlight all of it. No. Yep. No. Yep.
0: I'm not getting your books from the library. <laughs> yes!
1: <laughs> totally dodged that bullet. So anyway. She... <laughs> anyway. So she does talk here about uh, every every natural object being a member of the series. And, and you, you started talking about this before I laid my objections about Town Mouse, City Mouse. She says, now take up a natural object. It does not matter what. And you're studying one of a group, a member of a series. You already read that, didn't you? I did. You did. Wow.
0: Because it's very, it's the contrast to the city knowledge. It is. Or the city information, I guess she's saying.
1: Right. So she says, uh, the example she gives here I I thought was interesting. She says, break off an elder twig in the spring. You notice a ring of wood round a center of pith. And there you have at a glance a distinguishing character, of a great division of the vegetable world. It's just, it's interesting. You pick up a pebble. Its edges are perfectly smooth and rounded. Why, you ask? It's water-worn, weather-worn. And that little pebble brings you to -to face-to-face with disintegration. The force to which, more than to any other, we owe the aspects of the world which we call picturesque. So it's interesting. She's talking about you, you look at one little thing and then you get the concept of something else that's crazy, right? So you look at you look at the Grand Canyon or just a little I don't know, a a rivulet or something and you go, "Wow, erosion." Without knowing the word erosion, but you know that water cutting through a thing cuts out the ground around it.
0: Disintegration. Great. Not erosion.
1: <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Erosion is another word that she could have said, but she didn't. But I did. So I don't know. I I thought it was interesting that that again the the child you can learn about these things. You can learn about these scientific properties of disintegration, of gravity, of speed and acceleration, of uh, what it means to throw something up,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it, it'll fall down. And then later in life, you can learn why.
0: By and by, he will learn the bearings of the facts with which he is already familiar. Right. He knows what it is, and later in life, he gets told the name for what it is. Right. A very different thing from learning the reason why a facts which have never come under his notice.
1: Which is why, throughout schooling, when you're doing science class, experiments are the best and most interesting part
0: because you're doing.
1: Cuz you're doing something.
0: I don't know, the same thing with uh science fairs. I'm like, "Well, it's already been done. Why do I have to redo it?" What do you mean? I What do you mean I have to do it? Why do I have to do this experiment? <laughs> it works. Look, you can see it. It works. Right? I don't have to do it. But then I do it and it's
1: really That's fun. Fascinating. Yeah.
0: I don't know. That was that was something even as a kid that tripped me up. I was like Why am I doing a science experiment? Why do I have to make this bulletin board about it? Because it's already been done. There's nothing new under the sun. All these science experiments, quote unquote, have already been done. So they're not experiments anymore. They're just following somebody else's directions.
1: Yeah, that was the fun part about projects when when I was a senior in college, was that the projects we were doing there, we were literally creating something that hadn't been done before. Or we were creating a new way of doing a thing that hadn't been done before that way. So. Those were cool.
0: That, I could mind. Except I wouldn't understand any of it, but that's okay. Yeah,
1: it got a little ridiculous.
0: Uh, Anyway, so feel it, learn it, understand it before learning the why of facts that you don't understand. And this is where, you know, power will pass more and more into the hands of scientific men. And it's worthwhile. It is... It is infinitely well worth the mother's while to take some pains every day to secure, in the first place, that her children spend hours daily amongst rural and natural objects. And in the second place, to infuse into them, or rather to cherish in them, the love of investigation. So again, that goes back to what David Copperfield was saying about people not acquiring the faculty of observation, but not to have lost it. Right. So she's cherishing it rather than infusing it. Interesting. So Kingsley, um, and I, this again is from the annotated version because I couldn't find who it was. Uh, Charles Kingsley called the, uh, wrote a lecture called the Aristoc- Aristocracy? Aristocracy? Aristocracy. There it is. The Aristocracy of the Future in 1871. And so, They will rule and they will act because they have taken the trouble to learn the facts and the laws of nature. So.
1: Well, so then we move on to intimacy Intimacy with nature makes for personal well-being. And she's continuing to quote from Kingsley here, I believe. Mm Mm-hmm. And he says, I have seen the young man of fierce passions and uncontrollable daring expend healthily that energy which threaten daily to plunge him into recklessness, if not into sin, upon hunting out and collecting through rock and bog, snow and tempest, every bird and egg of the neighboring forest. I have seen the young London beauty amid all the excitement and temptation of luxury and flattery with her heart pure. And her mind occupied in a boudoir full of shells and fossils, flowers and seaweeds, keeping herself unspotted from the world by considering the lilies of the field. Oh, how they grow. So it's interesting to me that, that, I mean, we we do have trouble with Ian getting himself into trouble just because he's he finds himself bored out of his mind sometimes. And that's exactly what Kingsley is talking about here.
0: Keep them out of trouble by keeping them occupied and busy, Yeah, doing good things, doing worthwhile
1: things. By doing good and worthwhile things, by learning and by by living and by seeing and connecting and all of those things that, that children do and can do, that doing those things will keep the children occupied in good ways and will help them to grow in ways that will be beneficial for the rest of their lives.
0: Mm-hmm. I I really liked how... She- I know we, we randomly chose these three chapters to do, but she kind of bookends them those three these three chapters with consider the lilies. She did. Consider the lilies. And it's both a, a mark of casting your concerns and your worries and provide and trusting in God's provision, just like the lilies do. Right. But also just to frankly just consider them what do they look like how do they grow how are they interacting with the nature around them and and all of those things and it's it's stopping and thinking and pondering and considering
1: i hadn't picked up on that i'm glad you said that because that's that is that is very interesting cool well thanks for hanging out with us for the last i don't know however long this ends up being after i edit it um but the one thing we do want to talk about real quick is the book that crystal's been reading through and looking at for all of these helpful notes because uh we were a little bit behind on our studying this week is the annotated edition of home education by charlotte mason and it's annotated by rachel lebowitz and ruck martin Rook Ruck. I'm gonna go with Ruck Martin.
0: I just go with Rachel. <laughs> All
1: right. So, Mr. Martin, if you pronounce your name differently, please, please, uh, I guess, don't hold it against me. Um, but anyway, you should probably try to say that again. But Ruck Ruck Martin. Uh, but it's really it's really cool. They have they have the original text and page numbers. I thought the page numbers were a. a a really cool addition because Good touch. yeah, it's a great little touch because the pages and the page numbers don't exactly fit the original uh, writing, and so you're still able to follow along with someone else who has uh, the non-edit or the non-annotated version, and then in the margins on the side, they add they add all the little helpful tidbits, all all of the all of the little things that that Crystal's been um, studying and looking into and diving into. Uh, Well, I guess not all, but a lot of them, um, they're all there. And so it's a, it's a great little, it's a, it's a great help for studying these things. So great, great resource, great book. Um, I think, I think anyone who wants to gain a, a better understanding of this book, Home Education by Charlotte Mason would do well to, to purchase and own a copy of the annotated version. And, uh, so far as I know, we're not being sponsored by them either. I just really like the book.
0: I don't think we are. I don't,
1: I'm pretty sure we're not. Like, no affiliate links or anything.
0: No, we have an affiliate link.
1: Oh, okay. Well, apparently we have an affiliate link. So, I, I don't know. Do we? Whatever. <laughs> we're not... I mean, this is... Uh, yeah, so we're for, not... For,
0: for affiliate links that we have, you go to our website and click through our website to get to other people's websites.
1: Gotcha. So, if you, if you want to support us and buy the annotated version of home education, uh, do what crystal said, go to our website and follow whatever link she has there to go to buy it. Yeah. I think that's all we got. Thank you for listening. Join the conversation with us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter.